If you're watching online today, we also want to welcome you. We're so grateful that you've come and joined us here. Uh, take a moment to click the link, and that will connect you with us, uh, and you may leave information uh, about yourself and how our pastors may pray for you. If you're here in this room today, which I believe you are, take your bulletin and be sure to pull out that connection card in your bulletin, and you can fill that out. And let us know that you're here today. If you're new to Woodlawn, we're so glad that you're here with us. Uh, we invite you just to join us in this time of worship and just be comfortable and know that we're just excited that you're here with us as well. Let's continue. I see we've got kind of sections here, and there's a little bit of a gap right here. And then everybody went back there. They like that section there. And then over here, it's just kind of hit or miss and here and there. A lot of people went out of town for spring break. Did you leave town for spring break? Anybody leave town? Yeah. I left town for spring break. You didn't even miss me, did you? We went up to Birmingham and saw our daughter and son-in-law and grandbaby, and then we went on up to Tennessee visited up there the first night at my mother's house it was 28 degrees for a low up there but it warmed up during the day and we had a great time came back through Birmingham so we're back we're glad to be back glad to see you here today we've been doing the seven last words of Jesus on the cross and it's a series it's seven weeks and it goes through Easter and so if you missed the first two weeks we talked about forgiveness and in the second week, I asked the 830 crowd, they actually remembered this. We talked about forgiveness. And then last week, we talked about, uh-huh, uh-huh. We talked about assurance, okay? And today, we're going to talk about love. That's right. We're going to talk about love today. So I hope this will be good. Now, listen, I, want, I read the definition from some children of love. What is love, okay? I love these, okay? Rebecca is age eight, and she says, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather, who has arthritis in his hands, painted her toenails, even though he had arthritis too. That's love. That is love. I had never painted Laura's toenails, so don't tell her. Don't tell her about that, okay? Billy, age four, says, when someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know your name is safe in their mouth. <laughs> Only kids would come up with that, right? Bobby, age seven, says, love is what's in the room at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. <laughs> Nika, age six, if you want to learn to love better, you should start with someone you hate. <laughs> age six, a philosopher already, she's telling us, what to do? Tommy, age six, love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends 
even after they've known each other so well. <laughs> Cindy, age eight, says, during my piano recital, I was on stage and I was scared. I looked at all the people watching me and I saw my daddy waving and smiling. He was the only one doing that. And I wasn't scared anymore. Jessica, age eight, said, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. So go out this week and say it a lot, okay? Now, we've been talking about Jesus, and we, he's going to the cross. And here today, we're going to talk about that some more, and specifically with his relationship to his mother. I want to explain the scene to you. The night before he goes to the cross, he's been to six different trials, and all of them are illegal because you couldn't have a trial at night. And then they beat him, and they spit on him, and they scourge him. And even as he's approaching the cross, he's already beginning to die. They nail him to the cross with the crowd shouting insults. And none of the disciples show up except for John, his best friend, and for some women who came. Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, Mary of Clopas, and Salome were there. And Jesus looks down, and in John 19, he says, Near the cross of Jesus... He said, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple John, whom he loved, standing nearby, he said, woman, here is your son, pointing to John. And to his disciple John, he said, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. In other words, Jesus had made arrangements for Mary to be taken care of with John, the one who's writing this. Tradition tells us that Mary lived 12 years after Joseph who had already died, and she lived with John for the remainder of her life. And these words seem simple. Mother, here's your son, John. John, here is Mary, your new mother. What do we learn from these words? Well, a couple of things. We learn what it means to love like Jesus, and we learn what Jesus does when you are in pain. If I'm going to be like Jesus, the first thing I need to do is I must care for my family. Even on the cross, he's thinking about his mother. That's what Jesus is doing. Now, love is something you do. It's not just something you say. In the middle of Jesus' pain, there are three things he does for his mother. Those same three things are the things that you and I need to do for our families. First, love pays attention. If you love somebody, you'll pay attention to them. And Jesus paid attention to his grieving mother at the foot of the cross. As he's dying, he's looking to her. Attention is one of the greatest gifts that you can give somebody. Why? Because you're not going to get any more time on this earth than you're going to be allotted. And so when you give your time to people, you're saying, you are important to me. I'm going to make time for you. Another word for attention is respect. If you respect people, then you will look to them. You know, the women could get closer to the cross in those days because if you were a woman, and if you were in particular unmarried or a widow, then you were considered the lowest of the low in those days. They didn't even really notice women or acknowledge them. But Jesus always raised the status of women. He totally reinvented the culture back then. And we know the fifth commandment in Exodus says, Honor your father and mother, and you're to honor them as long as you're alive because they brought you into the world. You, do you need to pay more attention to your family? 
Sometimes we have to care for our families. I read this past week about Robert Williams. Um, he was a young man. He was eight years old. He started riding the bus, and there was this woman who would always take care of him, Miss Louise. She drove the bus. And he lived with nine siblings, and his dad had left home, and his mom was sick. And so she would always say something to him like, did you get something to eat today? How was school today? How's your family? And she just kind of took him under her wing, and he really appreciated her attention and how she loved him. So one day he got this idea he needed to do something for his family. His dad was gone. His mom was sick. He had all these brothers and sisters. How is he going to help? And so in his little mind, he decided what he needed to do was he needed to drive a bus like Miss Louise. And so he just went and got on the bus, and the keys were in it, and he started it up, fired it up, and headed out of there. That's right. Because he said, maybe they'll give me a job driving a bus, and I can take care of my family. Well, they didn't give him a job. They did take him to court, however, and they talked to him there. But the judge said, you know, I appreciate so much when he told them the story and the people from the bus company were there, and they said, when you turn 25, you come see us, we'll give you a job. And they did. He went back when he was 25. He got a job driving the bus. He was so excited about it. He got to see Miss Louise. He hugged her neck. He told her what she meant to him and all that she did. And then he completed his training, and now he's a supervisor uh, for the bus company. And he said, you know, I've been blessed as a result of that. I just wanted to take care of my family. You and I, we're called to take care of our family. And Jesus paid attention to his family. And then another thing that love provides for our needs. It provides for our needs. Jesus had an earthly task, and he provided for his mother. In the middle of all his pain, he said, John, I want you to take care of my mom. And mom, I want you to take care of my friend John. Because he knew that relationship would help them. And I want you to think about this. You probably never thought about this. When you die, what will you leave to your family? You've thought about that, right? But have you thought about this? What did Jesus leave to his family? What did he leave to his mother? Jesus had no inheritance. He had no house to leave his mother. He had no money. He didn't even have any clothes to leave her. Jesus didn't have anything to leave when he left this earth. Nothing to give except one thing. He gave her the best gift he could give her. He gave her care. He said, now John's going to take care of you, Mom, and, and I want you to take care of John. It's a relationship that will benefit both of you. And the Bible tells us we're to provide for our family's needs. In 1 Timothy, it says, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn... First of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. So do you want to please God? Well, just take care of your family. And in 1 Timothy it says, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Jesus gave Mary emotional support, and we're to give emotional support to our family. I want you to imagine the baggage that Mary carried with her, the emotional baggage she had in her life. She had the unexplained birth, and there was an illegitimate cloud that covered her entire pregnancy. 
Then once that little baby was born, Joseph took Jesus to the temple to be dedicated. And Simeon says, now I need to tell you about this baby. This baby is going to grow up and suffer in his life. And he looks at Mary and he says, and you're going to suffer too because you're his mother. And when he suffers, you're going to suffer with him. Your firstborn child has been born. He's eight days old. And you're already being told that he's going to suffer. And so are you. That's a sad thing, isn't it? And then Jesus is not even two years old when King Herod says that he's going to put out a decree to kill all the baby boys, the Hebrew boys, who are two years old and younger so that he can kill the Messiah. And Mary and Joseph have to flee to Egypt. And then at 30 years of age, he stands up and he tells his hometown that he is the son of God. And the people that grew up with Jesus got so mad at him, they started to try to throw him off a cliff. And Mary has to see his hometown turn against him. Now he's tortured as a criminal. He's hanging on a cross. And there is Mary once again in major grief. And Jesus looks down and he pays attention to her. And he comforts her in spite of his own pain. And it says in Proverbs, Friends love through all kinds of weather. And families stick together in all kinds of trouble. If you're going to learn to be like Jesus, then you've got to show up and stand up and speak up for the people that you love. The Bible says in Ephesians, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up, sacrificed his life for her. The Bible says that I, as a husband, I am called to lay down my life for my wife, to love her more than I love myself. What does it mean to be a leader at home? A leader is someone who sacrifices more than anybody else. The Bible says that's what leadership is really all about. So the first thing we learn about Jesus is that love starts at home by paying attention and providing for needs and providing emotional support. And then second, I must treat other believers as my family. I want you to look around at the people who are here today. Go ahead and check them out. Look at them. The people who are here that are believers, they're going to heaven with you. So you can't get rid of them. There was, there were a couple of snowbirds at the 830 service. They were sitting right up front. The Chickarellas. Don't you just love that name, the Chickarellas? I just have fun saying that. And they said they've been coming here for 17 years as snowbirds to church, but they're not coming back next year. The traveling's gotten to them, and they're just going to stay up north, and they're not going to come. I told them they'd miss me. I told them, and I'll miss them because they brought me peanut M&Ms, the Atkins peanut M&Ms. I said, who's going to bring those to me now? But, you know, we'll miss them. But I said, you can't get away from me because as believers, we're still all going to heaven together, right? And so we may be gone for a while, but we'll get back together. As a follower of Christ, that means everybody in church is my brother and sister. And I have a relationship with every believer forever. The Bible says in Matthew Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. We're a big church family. That's what we are. And the Bible says that we're to be devoted to each other just like members of the family. Romans says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. What does it mean to be devoted to each other? It means to stick up for each other, to do special things for one another. Galatians says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. How do we give special attention to other people? Well, we help them out. We do things for them that they need. 
You give emotional support to your spiritual family. You carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ, it says. Now, the great commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself, and that's the law of Christ. How do we do that? Well, you've got to get involved in a small group. You've got to get involved in a, in a group that com- becomes your family. You get very close to them, and you tell them your needs, and you pray for one another, and you lift each other up. I read this past week about a family who adopted a chipmunk, a baby chipmunk. Have you ever heard of this? This little baby chipmunk was the runt. Somehow he got left out. His family left. He was by himself. He wasn't going to make it. So this family took him in, and the mom especially took care of him. You know, we had a couple who used to come to the 830 service. They've moved away, the Weldons. They live in Atlanta now, but they found a baby possum. And it was abandoned, and she raised that baby possum and kept the baby possum. Can you imagine? Anybody here want to sign up for that duty? When, when they went out of town and they got people to house sit, does that mean they got to take care of the possum too? I'm just wondering, you know, because the possum ain't going to take care of itself, is it? I'm just thinking. Anyway, they took care of this chipmunk. We don't see chipmunks around here. When we lived up in the Auburn, Opelika area, they were everywhere. They just crazy, going everywhere. And so here's what she learned about taking care of this little chipmunk. The chipmunk had his favorite prized possession was walnuts. And so he would hide the walnuts where he slept. Because he could watch them there. And one eye open, you know, he's checking them out. And so that's where he kept them. But here's what this little chipmunk did. When this chipmunk realized that this mama was taking care of him and this family, he started dividing half of his walnuts, and he went and put them under her pillow where she slept. Now listen, if a chipmunk can figure that out... And do that, you and I can love each other and take care of each other, can't we? I mean, can you imagine a chipmunk doing that? Then third, I must see others' pain when I am in pain. I must look at other people who are hurting even when I am hurting. I don't know about you, but when I'm in pain, I'm not thinking about you or anybody else, okay? I'm pretty self-centered, and I'm trying to figure out how can I get rid of this pain? But Jesus said to love other people, you've got to love like Jesus, and that is to love when you're in pain. Philippians says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, and that is to see other people's pain. Now, there's a new thing that I've read about recently, and you see this in the news all the time. It's empathy deficient disorder. Empathy deficient disorder. People are losing the ability to have empathy for one another. Have you seen this? Have you noticed this in people? You can see it in the way they live. Webster's Dictionary defines empathy as the action of understanding, being aware, being sensitive to, and vicariously experiencing the feelings, thoughts, and experience of someone else. The psychologist Douglas Labeer says we suffer from what he calls empathy deficient disorder. In other words, people do not want to hear about other people's problems. They'll say, let's talk about something else. I don't want to confront things that are unpleasant. Don't bother me. I read in the news, this really happened, I read in the news recently where a grandson beat his grandmother for drug money so badly that she lost an eye. 
And when they told him that his grandmother, he had beat her, beaten her so badly, she lost an eye, he said, so? He, he had no concept of understanding, of empathy for someone else in their pain. In other words, we find somebody else in distress. We need to find those people and help them. First Peter says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. So the key to getting over your grief is to refocus. The Bible says, Blessed are those who mourn. And so as you grieve, you refocus and ask, is there anybody else who's grieving more than me? Is there anybody else who's in more pain than me? Maybe we could help one another. And then fourth, and finally, I must meet others' needs even when mine aren't met. Jesus had enormous emotional and spiritual needs that weren't being met, and yet he made sure that other people's needs were being met. There is nothing you and I will ever do more important than what Jesus did on the cross. Now, what I'm teaching you is the exact opposite of the culture today. The world teaches the more important you are, the less time you have to care about the people around you. For example, nobody expects the President of the United States to stop and change your flat tire. But Jesus says that is what makes us great. If you want to be great, he said, you've got to be a servant to all others. You're never too important to meet the needs of other people. What does it mean to love like Jesus? Romans says each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? When was the last time you asked that question, how can I help? I read about Patricia Miller this week. She's a nurse in an emergency room. And she said for years she worked in the emergency room. When she first went there, she had a lot of compassion and empathy for people. But the schedule and the pace of working in the emergency room as a nurse had caused her, because she had to do all the input, it had just caused her to become callous toward the patients before her. And one night there was a woman that they brought in who had overdosed, a young woman, and they had gone to her mother's house and woken her up and brought the mother down to the hospital. And here's this mother trying to wake up in the middle of the night to give them information about this daughter who has done this before and how she doesn't know how to help her and take care of her. And she's just trying to tell the woman the information. And, and the nurse said she's thinking to herself the whole time, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Come on, i got to get this done. And so the woman's talking to her, and she's filling out the paperwork. And then she said, I went over to the copier to copy all this information. And when I got there, God intervened. And God spoke very clearly to me and said, you didn't even look this woman in the eye. And then he repeated it. You didn't even look this woman in the eye. And she said, I stopped right there at the copier, and I prayed, and I said, God, I'm sorry. That's wrong. And then she went back to the woman and she sat down and she took the woman's hands in hers and she said, listen, I want to tell you something. I care. Don't give up. And she said the woman just broke down in tears and hugged her. And she began to pour out her story of how she tried to help her daughter all these years and how this had repeated over and over again in a cycle and how much it meant to her that that woman took care and took time to care for her. And the nurse said, me, who didn't really have any time for her, and now she's thanking me. 
And she said, my attitude changed that night because she said, Jesus came into the hospital even though we have so many rules to keep him out. He came in anyway, and he worked through me to minister to this woman. It changed her life. Our daughter Catherine is an EMT. She's going to study to be a paramedic, and then they're going to train her to do that, and so she's going to be doing that. But she's riding and working on an ambulance, and she goes out for calls. Well, she called us this week, and they had a code. I knew kind of what that meant, but I didn't know all of what that meant. And so I'm learning about what it means to be an EMT. And so Catherine went out, and they had a team, and they got there, and this guy had died. And so this guy with her, he puts the mask over his face, and then uh, Catherine starts doing the compressions on his chest. I mean, really working on him hard, okay? And the guy comes back to life. And they're a part of that, and it's amazing And she said, now, Daddy, I did crack three ribs, but I brought him back to life. She said, that's good compression, Daddy. I said, okay, what do I know about that? And then she said, I felt led to go in this little room where his wife was and pray with her. But then I thought, no, I better not do that. But then she felt compelled again. And so she said, okay. And she went in and she said, ma'am, this may not be appropriate, but would it be okay if I prayed with you? The lady said, oh, yes, I'm a Christian. Please pray with me. And she got to tell her the good news. Her husband was alive, and they prayed together there. You see, even when there are rules to keep Jesus out, sometimes he slips in anyway. And he uses normal people to do that. And sometimes that's the best thing that can happen. Romans says this, Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Now, I don't want you just to go home today and say, I like that story that he told about such and such. And have you ever heard of a chipmunk to be a a family pet? I want you to do something beyond that. I want you to ask God, now, God, who would you have me invite to church on Easter? And then I want you to start praying that that person will come. And I want you to invite that person to come with you to church on Easter and maybe even Get out of your comfort zone, invite to go by and pick them up and bring them with you to church on Easter. And here's why Jesus wants to give you his best. But Jesus can only give you his best if you stay close to him. You've got to stay close to him. And if you bring somebody else closer to Jesus, he can give them his best. And you can be a part of that. So if you want to receive the best of God, and if you want to share the best of God, then what you can do is always stay close to the foot of the cross, because that's the way you stay close to Jesus. Let us pray. God, we're just so grateful that you bless us. We're grateful that you touch our lives. We're grateful that you give us divine appointments, that you let us be a part of your work, that that just by smiling at somebody or or speaking to somebody or, or maybe by praying with somebody, that we can be your hands and feet, your voice and your heart. Lord, this week I pray that you would give us divine appointments. I pray that you would touch our lives. I pray that you would use us to touch other people's lives. Lord, there are a lot of people who are not close to you right here in Panama City Beach. And you're going to bring us in in close proximity to some of those people. And you're just going to give us favor with them. 
and you're just going to say, now here they are. All you got to do is love on them a little bit. Maybe they'll come with you to church and maybe they'll hear the word and, and maybe it'll change their eternity. What else are we going to do this week that's going to change eternity? So Lord, I pray that you would use us to minister to people in need. I pray that we would do it in the name of Jesus and that they would see it that way and they would respond. And we'll give you all the glory and praise and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.